The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, Then they did not set out until that day when it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you'd like to go to children's church, please join the volunteers by the kids' zone sign. And if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Laura. Well, good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here at Restoration. We're glad you're here with us this morning. You could be anywhere. We are uh, exodusing out of Exodus. We are finishing this thing up. We've done it. Uh, Just kind of a horizon for y'all, itinerary. We'll do two weeks of um, Palm Sunday next week, and then Easter in the book of John. And then we'll have a seven-week series. We'll just park the bus in Romans 8 and explore that chapter for seven weeks, uh, what's been called the best chapter in the Bible. Um, But uh, we'll walk slowly through it. But we have been looking at uh, the Israelites' journey from Egypt, a land of slavery, to the promised land, and how that journey is marked by provisions. And as we are on a journey too, as we're following King Jesus, our journey is marked by provisions. How God gives to his people things in which they need, but is uh, from himself. And so we are rounding out uh, in chapters 33 and 40, 40 being the last chapter. But if we zoom out, Exodus 1 began in slavery. 
marked by even murders of the Israelites and torment, and it ends with deliverance going toward the promised land. And so what I would offer you is actually that's your story. It's a story that points to this provision that we'll look at lastly, and it's a story of glory. Because no matter who you are, uh, you could be uh, someone who has a plain, ordinary life that is frillless. Or you could have a life that someone's going to write a book about. No matter who you are, your story is aimed for glory. That you began in Exodus 1, and you want to be in Exodus 40, going towards the promised land as God leads uh, and he gives the provision of glory. As Jim Cofield says, uh, glory has a way of sticking with people. And so when we brush up against King Jesus, we get that thought, glory. And we'll see this morning three things. We'll see uh, wrestling for glory, the place of glory, and then the leading of glory as we look at Exodus. But this morning, let's pray as we study God's word uh, together. Let's pray. Or land us safe in Canaan's side and bid our anxious fears goodbye. This morning, no matter who we are, we walk in with a burden of anxious fears. It's just what it means to be human. And yet you're a God who leads your people to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, where we will know you and we will know ourselves and we will be forever with you. And so this very day, as we see this provision of glory, and we know more about the God who we call our love and our leader and our Savior. pray all in your name, King Jesus. Amen. So first, wrestling for glory. Wrestling for glory. So we're talking about glory this morning. Glory. Glory. Right? It's a sticky, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery word. The 90s movie, Flubber, right? You can't get your, you can't contain it. You can't catch it in a bottle. You try to, and it just squeezes out of your hands. Glory. It's a nebulous word. It's a, it's a Christianese word. It's a spiritual word. Glory. Uh, glory. So what does glory mean? After a long day, you are on your feet all day. You're walking around doing tasks, whatever it may be. You lay down in your bed and you say, glory, right? Glory. You get the whiff of a freshly filled diaper, and you say, glory, my, uh, my dining room, right this very moment, we're having a party for our almost three-year-old daughter, and if, there, if something has a unicorn on it that's been printed in this universe, it is in my dining room. It is, it is pink, and there's, there's horns, glory, like you walk in there, and you just see it, it's, it's shiny. And all of those kind of notes get actually to the fact of what glory is. Glory in the Old Testament is this word kavod. Kavod. Kavod is applied in many ways to, to people who are larger. They, they have a great kavod. Uh, to news that's heavy, there's a kavod to that, that news. It describes also when King David is forced out of his kingdom and to flee, he has this he feels like he has to leave his kavod behind, his footprint, his importance, his meaning, who he is. Kavod means glory. Glory is this thought of weight. 
something real and authentic, something that's full. And that's the very thing we see Moses is after in Exodus 33 with God. That he has this intentional conversation and intentional interaction with God that actually looks like wrestling. It's a wrestling dialogue. Because in Exodus 33 comes right after Exodus 32. That's how numbers work. And Exodus 32 is the golden calf. And the golden calf happens because uh, Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and the blueprints for the tabernacle. And as he's gone, the Israelites are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they say, hey, this Moses guy, uh, we haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, He's abandoned us probably. What we need to do is we need to make idols for ourselves that we had back in Egypt so we can worship. We can see a God and give homage and worship to it. And so what they do is they cast and they make this, this golden calf and they worship it. And they say, this is the thing. This is the God that took us from the land of Egypt to freedom, this golden calf. And Moses comes down off the mountain, breaks the, tab- uh, the tablets and uh, essentially saying, what has happened here is, is relationship hurting, to put it mildly. And then God says, listen, the people who, um, who made this, this golden calf, I, I can't go. This is where it's, I stop. I can't move forward with them. And so Moses, um, at the beginning of Exodus 33, Moses, you are going to take them to the promised land, and I'm going to stop right here. And you're going to take them. Have the promised land. And Moses says, hold up. In, in uh, verses 13 and 14, Lord, how will people know that they're your people if you don't go with them? How will they know? Why, will you, why have you brought them out? And then God says, okay, I, I hear that. I, I'll give you, Moses, the singular you. I'll give you my presence and my spirit and my favor. You go and lead the people. And Moses says, no, 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 no. God, how will everyone know that they are yours if you don't go with them? And in fact, if you don't go with us, your people, to your promised land, we don't want to move one single inch. And what we see is Moses turns down the chance that we all want, being the teacher's pet, having alone the sole favor of God, meanwhile leading and being the guy and getting everything everyone else gets, the promised land. And he turns it down because he knows the promised land is worth nothing if you don't have the God who promised it. In the early... 2000s movie, Walk the Line. It tells a story, a biography of Johnny Cash. There's, there's a scene where this uh, younger, up-and-coming star, Johnny Cash, who's touring like crazy. He's having a growing family at home. He's just starting his drug habit. There's a scene where he's off the road, and his family's growing, and he finally has money, so he's bought this big old new house. And they're moving into the house. It's moving day. And it cuts to this scene where he's in his kind of study, smoking a cigarette, kind of zoned out. And his wife walks in and says, it sure would be nice if, if you were home when you were home. You know, if you were really here. And he's like, yeah, you know, that, that really would be nice. I'll, I'll try to make that happen, actually. And she says, no, actually, what I need from you, we need to make some rules. And he kind of begins to react and says, all I have is rules. All I have is rules and limitations. I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to do this, supposed to do that. Uh, Vivian, I've got you this big house, all these fancy little things. I've given you everything you want. What do you want from me? And instinctively, she responds, I want you. And I want everything that you promised me. 
And that in Exodus 33 is the words of Moses, in the heart of Moses. God, you have said something to your people that you promised them something, and we don't want your stuff in the promised land. We want you and everything that you have promised us. There's a hollowness of getting everything you want and not getting the God who gives you those things. Now, when we hear this, this kind of wrestling, this, this more tense dialogue, we can think to ourselves, hey, Moses, you can't talk to God like that. The God I know, he wouldn't take that. Right? You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. You don't mess around with Jim. You don't talk to God like that. And what's important to point out here is that this wrestling that Moses has with God is a wrestling with favor, not a wrestling with force. And there's a big difference. Because a wrestling with force is, a, is one that is marked with strife because God has what you want and he is not good enough to give it to you. And therefore, you need to take it. You are questioning his goodness and you need to take what you are promised or what you want with force. Satan told Eve, did, did God really say that, that you would really die if you ate this? Right, the very assumption that is questioning God's goodness. And when I'm at my worst, I wrestle with force. I get what I want. Because if not, if I don't do that, then I'll be a victim in strife. I'll be small in paranoia and I will be left without and yet here we see Moses wrestles with favor. Moses wrestles with favor because he believes God enough at his word. He says, God, I believe you, and you're going to do just as you said. Not because I'm calling the shots, but because you are, and because you have said something that I'm betting the farm on. You're standing with God. Your standing of belonging to God frames how you engage and how you wrestle and how you lean upon what God has actually said to you. For couples that come for premarital counseling, the first meeting that we uh, have with them, I end the time with this. In the weeks and the months leading to your I do, you should intentionally and proactively cultivate fondness. Cultivate fondness, meaning this. When you see something in the person you're about to say yes to forever, that you delight in, that you love, that you're drawn to, that, that you see how God has made them to be, articulate it. Extend it. Affirm that in them. And when you do that, that all of a sudden creates in that person this thought of, I'm seen and I'm, I'm heard and I'm affirmed and engaged, and I'm delighted in. And also the person that says it to the person says, my heart is growing fond toward you. So that when you do say, I do, you hit the ground running. And the big conversations are framed by fondness. The small ones are framed by fondness. The tense ones are framed by fondness. The times of intimacy is framed by fondness. In relationship, the arena of wrestling, when it is framed by fondness, produces a glory, a kavod, a weight, a clearness, an authenticity. When you wrestle for glory, you get it. Because that's how our God is built 
and entered into you and how he's built us. We wrestle with favor. And God never says, hey, Moses, you're a little too much, okay? You're a little too assuming, a little too entitled. Because were he to say that, he'd say, hey, you believed me a little too much. You, you kind of took me too much at my word. But instead, God loves it when Moses comes to him and says, hey, God, you know what? I see you've promised your people this, and this is reality. And those two data points and dissonance create a tension, and I'm here wrestling with you because I long for this tension to be relieved. And so my question for you today is, what is your tension? What are your data points where you say, God has promised you something? Because God has promised you something. He said a lot of things, but your heart has grabbed something that God has said and promised. And then you look at your life. And you see the tension those thing, two things could create. And your God actually wants you to wrestle with that tension. Because he wants you to bet everything you have on the fact that he has promised you something. We wrestle for glory. He wants us to bank it all on his word to us. So if that's Moses wrestling for glory, what about the place of glory? The second idea. So at the end of this wrestling, Moses asks for glory and he gets it. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to see you. Show me your glory. And God says, I will show it to you, but... I'm going to be the one that determines the place and the avenue in which you experience it and you see it. Because Moses uh, doesn't really understand this, but, but God's glory is so pure that Moses can't see it. It's so pure. And so because of that, God hides Moses and puts him on a rock and then hides him in the cleft of the rock, it says. So uh, see in verse 19 and on. It says, And he, God, said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. Moses is put on this rock. And then Moses is put on the cl- in the cleft of the rock. Did Moses choose to be put there? No. Did God put him there? Yes. God is so committed to showing you his glory, he's going to put you in the very place you need to be to see it most clearly. Because the cleft of the rock, is, it's not a place of Moses' perfection or Moses' power. It's a place of being human. It's a place of weakness, of limitation. He has to be put there because he is who he is. Now, Moses has favor. And he has confidence, but we can't mistake favor and confidence for still being in need and having a weakness and having limitation because the place of glory is a place that requires you to be still, to sit in the cleft of the rock. That's what the place of glory is because when you're still and God covers you with your hand, you are on the front row seat to see the glory God wants to show you. That's why he placed you there. And if you think to yourself, okay, where have I seen God's glory, God's presence, God's power most in my life? 
or where have I wanted to see God's power and presence most in my life? I almost guarantee it's probably in a place you didn't ask to be, that you didn't plan on being in, that you didn't all of a sudden intentionally wander and plop down right there. But what he did is says, you want to see my glory? I'm going to put you right where you need to be to see it. God puts you and I exactly where we need to be in order for us to see what we need of him. And it's these glimmers of glory. Now, what does that, what does that really mean? Paul in the New Testament is writing about his kind of embattled life. What's going on inside of him? What, what marks and mars him? And he talks about this. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, uh, Paul in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you get it? He's talking about how there's a spiritual reality that in his own frailty, in his own inability to curb what is wrestling and embattling him, he says that's exactly where I meet God. But, but understand, the power is that and more. He goes one step further because he says, actually, that's the very place I revel in. That's the very place I boast because it's a direct pathway to understanding and seeing and tasting God's glory. Charles Spurgeon, to that very thought, said, I've learned to kiss the waves Throw me against the rock of ages. The place of seeing glory, of experiencing God's glory, is often the places you have not planned for. And yet, it's the front row seat God puts you in exactly where you need to be to understand the kind of God He is. The rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee. And God says, Moses, I'm going to put you in a rock that's by me, he says. And then when I walk by, I'm going to hide you in it. And then because I'm hiding you in it, you can see me more fully. Understand, there's, there's a son right by the father. And God puts us right on him. And for us to see God's glory, he puts us in him. And when he walks by, we can, because of we're resting and confiding and being hidden and being still in Jesus, we get to see the glory of God fully. And that's something that I fight just about every single day because I don't like being put places I didn't ask for. And yet the place of glory is the place God has put us to see things clearly and be calibrated and being filled with hope. So my question for you is this. Where are you? 
Where have you been plucked? Where have you wrestled? And then God has put you exactly in a particular place that says, here is where you can see me. Here is where you can taste and know that I'm good. Here is where I'm actually going to lean into the fact that you're human and you're limited and I'm not going to leave you there stranded. But I'm going to show you more of who I am. God is committed to showing you his fullness. He's going to put you in the perfect place for it. But he does more than that. Here at Restoration, everything, all of our, all of our DNA, every, every kind of uh, fingerprint that we try to touch, we try to have it very clear, it's okay not to be okay. We say it often, and we believe it in every fiber of our being because we believe that it's okay not to be okay because we're all coming to same, the same Jesus without pretense, longing for wholeness. As we long for wholeness, it's okay not to be okay. And Jesus looks at that and says, I'm not going to just have that thought and then show you my glory like a little show. I'm actually going to take you somewhere. It's okay not to be okay because I can do a lot with that because we're moving toward a direction. We're moving towards wholeness. And that's this last idea, the leading of glory. We jump from uh, Exodus 33 to Exodus 40, and Exodus 40 is the last uh, chapter of the, of the book. These verses are the last words of the book of Exodus. What does Moses think to himself? Okay, how do I sum up this book to the people? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about glory. These people need to hear these last words before I close up shop on the book of Exodus. And we hear this, we hear that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journey. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." Again, the book of Exodus tells a story. It begins with slavery and it begin, and it ends with, uh, then we see the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle and leading at a particular pace the people who have now been freed as they're going to the place where they'll know freedom and fullness. And friends, that's exactly your journey now. Now that very same God has freed you. He's, he's found you in a place where you could find an inescapable slavery. And he's taken you from there. And he's put you on a journey. And it's marked with provisions. And he's going somewhere. And he's saying, I'm going to have you follow me at a particular pace to know my glory. As we're moving towards the land that is marked with a fullness of freedom. The promised presence of God's glory, the fire and the cloud, are over the promised place where God will meet his people, the tabernacle, and they are journeying toward the promised land, the place where they will know freedom. Friends, that's your journey. He's leading his people at a particular pace, but we have to remember, uh, we can't really put rose-colored glasses on because they're still in the wilderness. This is their hope, but they're still in the wilderness. They still have to go out day by day, every morning, having empty hands and getting the very thing they need for that day, the manna, and taking it 
and the next day, having nothing, going out, and trusting that God will provide for them each and every day. And they have to trust that when God's cloud of fire uh, and, and cloud don't move, they have to trust God is having them sit there for a moment for a reason. They have to trust God's stillness. And then when the cloud and the fire does move, they have to trust God's leading, that he's actually taking them in a good direction. And friends, the same God is that God for you. Actually, we have to wake up every morning and we have to trust that, that God, you're going to be enough for me today because I'm starting my day with this. Would you fill my hands as I'm journeying and following you? And actually, as I'm journeying and following you, Lord, would, would, when you ask me to be still and when you don't move and I can't move, would you have me trust your stillness and peace? And when you do move, and as we are marching forward in our life story, would you have me keep up and have me trust, actually, you're leading me into goodness? They followed pillars of fire and cloud, and we don't. Because what we do follow is the one that the Gospel of John writes about at the very opening verses that John takes this very thought of the Israelites in the tabernacle and says, the people have to know this. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, tabernacled is the word, made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. For the Israelites, they're following the pillar and the tabernacle to the promised land. And for us, what we're doing is we're looking at King Jesus and we're saying, it's okay not to be okay because I need you to take me somewhere, Jesus. Would you in all your glory lead me to the land of the abundant life, both now and in fullness eventually? And as you're in the wilderness and I'm in the wilderness this very church is seemingly in the wilderness. What we look at Exodus 33 and 40, we know this in spades, that we have a God who will lead you home. He has not abandoned his people. And he is intent on being with you every step of the way and for you to know the glory that is purchased for you in part that we know, that you will know it in full. That's the God of glory for you and for me and for us. Let's pray. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. To a weak people, Lord, uh, to a fatigued people, to a full people at times, to a comforted people at times, to a disturbed people at times, Lord, that's who we are. And to those people, you have promised to give us yourself. And when you give us yourself, you give us glory.
You give us kavod. You give us fullness and satisfaction and weight and things of authenticity. And we have all come in this room this morning because we long to encounter that very thing. And because you've promised that, may we wrestle with favor because I long to be more a beloved child than an orphan. Forget not your people this very day, we pray, Lord. Amen. We wrestle with favor because I long to be more a beloved child than an orphan. Forget not your people this very day, we pray, Lord. Amen.